that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, February 3rd. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're going to dig into the latest earnings reports from Visa and PayPal. We'll take a quick look at why Berkshire Hathaway is getting out of the newspaper business. We have more of the last stock you bought and why. Of course, we have ones to watch for the coming week. And as always, joining me in the studio live from Beaufort, South Carolina this week. Enjoying the beautiful weather down there in Beaufort, South Carolina. It's certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. It's a nice warm day down here. I'm hoping you guys are having some decent weather up by HQ. Yeah, yeah, it is good weather. Uh, you know, I mean, it seems like about ninety percent of the office is actually out of the office today. For <laughs> Dan, what do they call this Super Fool Sunday? Is that what it is? It's something like that. He's shaking his head behind the glass. He's not quite sure, but yeah, it's. I guess just giving everybody a chance to recover from the big game last night, which man, it was a pretty good game. I don't know. Did you catch it, uh, Matt? Yeah, I saw a lot of it. I was at a Super Bowl party, but I had my daughter with me, so we left about halftime, and I then I caught the tail end of the game, but it was a really good ending. Yeah, yeah, I think the second half was certainly more enjoyable than the first, but uh, congratulations to all you Kansas City Chiefs fans out there. That was uh, one heck of a game, and you know, I didn't have a dog in the race, so to speak, but I was happy to see Andy Reid get a Super Bowl. I got a lot of respect for him, and, and I know, and yeah, sure, I know you do too, Matt. I mean, he was he was your head coach for so long there in Philly. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I wish he would have won it in our town, but I'm, I was I was glad to see him win one. He deserves it. Okay, well, let's jump into the big earnings reports from last week for our purposes here. First up, we're going to talk a little bit about Visa, and Matt, I'm going to go ahead and let you get it started here. But one thing I did note um, is that this was the first time in the company's history that total network volume for the quarter was over three trillion dollars. So when we talk about big networks, Visa is definitely a big network. Oh yeah, I mean this was a this company just keeps getting bigger and bigger just when you think that Visa's everywhere you look. I mean, like you said, just over 3 trillion dollars in payment volume. Um and and they've been doing a great job of turning it into revenue and and earnings. So uh, 10% year-over-year revenue growth is is an impressive number for such a huge company. Yeah. Um, and that they turned that into 12% earnings growth shows that they did it very efficiently. Um, just a couple of highlights that I was looking at um, worth noting that uh, their debit card business is really what's fueling this growth. Um, their debit card payment volume rose 10% as opposed to just 5% for credit cards. Huh. And, and uh, you thought three trillion dollars in um, total payment volume was impressive. There are three point three eight five million Visa, or I'm sorry, three point three eight five billion Visa cards in existence now. Good That's grief. that. That means more than one out of every two people on the planet have a Visa card. I mean, I guess if I look in my wallet right now, I've got an American Express card and I've got two visas. I've got a a, a debit visa and I've got a credit card, a visa credit card tied to my my banking accounts. But yeah, I mean, there are two of them right there in my wallet. Right, and that number is, you know, like you said, it's 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 purport, it's concentrated in the United States, but I mean, that could potentially even double over the next decade or so as as our our so-called war on cash rages on. <laughs> um, 
just a Visa, they just approved another a giant share buyback. You know that I'm more of a share buyback guy, whereas Jason's kind of kind of been an advocate of Visa and MasterCard maybe raising their dividend a little bit, if I remember our conversations right. Yeah, I think if I had to put one over the other, I wouldn't mind seeing the dividends you know, grow a little bit more. But I mean, I also appreciate the fact that they utilize that capital to buy those shares back, and, and that helps keep that earnings per share number uh, going in the right direction, too. And I get it. I mean, they, their dividend yield right now is about 0.6%. Like, why pay anything? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a, what's the point? Might, might as well just take <laughs> that and, and plunge it back into the business as well. Um, but just a, a all-around great quarter. I was trying to find a number that I didn't like in there, and I really couldn't. Um, like Cross-border payment volume grew 9% year over year. Their tw- 2020 outlook actually really surprised me. They're expecting, quote, low double-digit revenue growth and EPS growth in the mid-teens. Wow. Which means, that, which means that their growth is actually expected to accelerate into 2020. Um, and it's an expensive stock right now. It's trading at almost 40 times uh, earnings, which, I mean, by for a, such a large company is a big valuation. But, I mean, it's really hard to say it's not justified by looking – Looking deeper through their numbers. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, it does. We talk about that with me, with Visa and Mastercard all the time. They are, they're always, they always get that premium multiple. But it's really hard to argue against it, right? I mean, these are very reliable businesses, two leaders in in their space, and I mean, just tremendous networks that are going to be. I I, I don't want to say they're too big to fail or impossible to disrupt, but they just have very strong competitive positions. And and I mean, when you see businesses like that, we we have examples that that you know span all types of markets. Those those types of businesses do get those premium multiples. And the nice thing about these businesses is, you know, they're firmly profitable and they make tons of cash. I mean, you're paying up a little bit, but there is a reliability there too, right? Right, and um. And we always talk about these disruptive companies, like we're about to discuss PayPal, we, we've discussed Square, things like that. And it's kind of worth noting that these aren't kind of like competitors in a sense that the bigger PayPal gets and the bigger Square gets, the bigger Visa and MasterCard are going to get. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there's the Venmo card. Is, I'm not sure if it's a MasterCard or a Visa off the top of my head, but there's a Square, the Square, um, the Cash card. There's there, All of these have products under the Visa and MasterCard network. Square's terminals accept, universally accept Visa and MasterCard credit cards. So the bigger these companies get, PayPal, you can use PayPal with a, a Visa or MasterCard. So don't think of these as, as two different plays. They're really kind of all, they could all there's plenty for all, in, in in other words. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no question there. And I mean, we see um, with the Olympics coming up here uh, this year, and I think uh, there's this big push in Tokyo to to go virtually cashless. And, and certainly, Visa's a beneficiary there as well. Um, one thing I wanted to ask if did you notice anything in the call? I know they 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 made it obviously this big acquisition recently with Plaid, paying up a pretty penny for it. But it it seems like there's you know, a plan behind this. I do get it, at least understanding what Plaid does. Did you see anything in regard to Plaid uh, through through the release or the call that stood out to you? Uh, I think they're. I mean, this is just more my personal thing than what I saw in the call. I personally think that's a very hefty price to pay for Plaid. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if it does what they they want it to do, kind of help. I mean, 
if you're not familiar with Plaid, it kind of helps integrate these different financial apps and things like that. And it's kind of what I was just talking about with the PayPal and Square thing, how it's kind of building one giant, you know, war on cash play, if you will, rather than yeah. individual competitors. And this just kind of like strengthens Visa's ecosystem. So it's going to be tough to quantify if they're actually getting their money's worth for the deal. Um, if they're ever able to, it's going to be really tough to do. But I mean, it's if if it keeps them growing at a double digit rate for the next for the foreseeable future, you can really not really argue with their logic there. Yeah, and I mean, I think really at the end of the day, seeing Visa and Mastercard with a focus on uh, keeping up with the times, bringing more technology into their into their houses. Uh, I mean, that's really what this Plaid deal was. I mean, I think it was it was another way for them to. Bring some some novel technology that is is serving a unique purposes in a number of different markets, and and yeah, so it, it will be tough to quantify. Uh, I mean, one thing I did see that if you get a little bit of clarity into into Plaid's business model, it's a usage based model. So I mean, again, you plug that into Visa's massive network that you were just talking about there. There's certainly some opportunities. So I mean, it, it could be it could be meaningful over the years, but I, I do agree with you. I feel like they they paid a lot for that deal. So I, I guess we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Yeah, and like you say, it's it'll be tough to actually put a number on the benefit, but their their objective is to keep growing and keep the the war on cash story alive. And if it does that, then we're all for it. Okay, well, speaking of the war on cash story, let's uh, move on to the next earnings story of the week. PayPal earnings came out later in the week, and. Um for the quarter, I mean, I mean, you know, listen, this was another really good quarter from a company that I think you and I are both big fans of. Just to go through some of the numbers here, 9.3 million net new active accounts. They now have 305 million total accounts. That's up 14% from a year ago. 3.5 billion payment transactions for the quarter, up 21%. Uh, close to $200 billion in total payment volume, up 22%. And uh, it, it looks like the transaction take rate is... is Hanging in there, I mean, that's something that the more and more the peer-to-peer or person-to-person payments growth continues. That that brings that take rate down a little bit, right? They don't monetize that as well as as the enterprise side. But the take rate was was two point two seven percent. The transaction take rate was total take rate was two point four nine percent. Just modest declines from a year ago, and and that's always good to see. But I, I think going back to Something you were talking about with Visa. One thing that's very clear with PayPal is is they are doing a very good job of of partnering up, incorporating solutions into networks all over the world with these big partners. And and it's it, it's like they you know PayPal was built on technology. It, it was one of those companies they they were trying to find a convenient and, and mobile solution for consumers in this in this world where we're spending less and less cash and making more and more electronic payments and and so to me i mean when you look at paypal today mobile is now 44% of total payment volume and i think because they've created such a slick interface with whether it's paypal or venmo or even zoom uh, I mean that mobile number is going to continue to grow, and I think they're going to find uh, partners out there that are very happy to bring them into their value chain. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, PayPal is creating engagement, don't you think? They are, and I mean, they're partnering with some of the biggest companies in the in the world, um, and and some of the highest growth opportunities. Uh, Mercado Libre is one of the big ones that they're partnered with, right? It is. Yep, um, that is right. And um, PayPal is expecting 35 million new accounts in 2020. Um, 
that's a that's that's a pretty ambitious goal. They added you know about that many in 2019. Yeah, so that's a lot. These part they're expanding their ecosystem at a fast rate, and they really don't have to worry about you know how profitable everything is right now. I mean, they're if they're growing at that, if they're adding 35 million users on an annual basis, as as big as they are, um, and Venmo's continuing, Venmo is up what 56 percent year over year, something like that. I mean, it's it's a big big opportunity that obviously has still has a lot of room to grow. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about those partnerships, I mean, you mentioned Mercado Libre, but just to go through this list because it it really is when you when you look at this all in in total. I mean, they expanded their relationship with Uber, and they're now processing Uber payments in Europe, Brazil, India, and across the Middle East. Uh, you mentioned the relationship with Mercado Libre in December. They closed the acquisition of GoPay that that helps PayPal essentially become the first foreign payment platform um, in in China. Uh, they they're cozying up with China's Union Pay. Uh, there's 130 million cards issued outside the mainland in China from Union Pay, and and, and they're they're going to be a part of that international payment solution for Union Pay, and, and that's a big deal. I mean, Union Pay is accepted by over 28 million merchants across the globe, and, and so I mean this this is the kind of stuff you can expect to continue. And and I think that as long as they continue to do that, I mean, they're growing their user base. They're creating more engagement by by more uh, transactions and more dollars going through that network. And, and you know, you keep that take. The take rate doesn't have to be some exorbitant number for this company to make a lot of money. At the end of the day, yeah. And I mean, it will. And uh, speaking of making money, their margins are actually improving tremendously. Um, operating margins are up two hundred basis points a year over year. I mean, that's. It's, this isn't like an unprofitable company. Don't get us wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, it's not. They're, they're they're doing a great job of making money, but they're accelerating their profitability too. In in addition to accelerating their ecosystem, so I think we've just kind of begun to see the the earnings potential of PayPal. If you look at PayPal's earnings in twenty thirty as opposed to twenty twenty, I think you're going to be very surprised. Yeah, I think you're probably right. One thing I wanted to get your opinion on: we were talking about. Uh, with Visa and the acquisition of Plaid. We know that PayPal uh, made a big acquisition of their own recently here, and and that was uh, Honey. And it, it was interesting. I mean, they said the word Honey more times on the call than you would hear in an episode of <laughs> Hee Haw. But, I mean, it was one of those things where I'm not even certain we fully got uh, as clear a picture maybe as, as what we would like as to how they're going to monetize Honey and how meaningful this could be to the business. But ultimately, is all about just Making PayPal more a part of the of the overall commerce relationship, right? I mean, it, it's traditionally been a payments company. The acquisition of Honey is to make them more a part of that overall uh, commerce relationship, that overall transaction from discovery to search to payment. Uh, but you know, they paid up for it. I don't know. I mean, if you had any any feeling on that that deal there, one way or the other. Well, it's it's kind of like how I was just talking about with Visa. Like it's it's going to be tough to put an actual number on it. It's going to be tough to quantify the impact, and it's tough to justify the price they're paying currently. But having said that, it's 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 a move to get a bigger ecosystem, and if it keeps their growth story going and gives them new avenues to grow, then I'm all for it. Yeah, and and just to to at least 
put some context around it, they do believe that that acquisition will be accretive to earnings in 2021. So, uh, you know, we we can at least uh, look forward to that. And and you know, it's not to say they won't make more acquisitions in the in the future here. I suspect they probably will. But I mean, you've got a company here with better than eight billion dollars in net cash on the balance sheet. Sherry purchases are bringing the share count down modestly, but hey, I mean, at least the share count's not going up. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you've got a company I think that is doing everything that we've really expected them to do. And uh, between Venmo and Zoom and PayPal and what they're going to potentially do with Honey, all of these new relationships that they're creating with all of these different partners. I mean, they've got a lot of pokers in the fire, but that's really that's really one of the one of the most attractive parts about this business is they're they're learning how to make their money a lot of different ways in a in a market that seems to have a lot of tailwinds. And I, I think we could say the same for Visa as well. Yeah, definitely. I think all these Visa, Mastercard, PayPal, Square—you know, your whole war of cash basket—I think has a ton of room to climb. Yeah, and, I, um, and by climb, I mean you know their their business itself, not just not just the stock prices. I think these businesses are a fraction of what they're going to be. Yeah, I, I agree. And and just to give our listeners here an update on the war on cash, because I was looking at that recently, we've got three of the four holdings in the basket having reported in MasterCard and Visa and PayPal now. Still waiting for Square to come out. But as of today, the war on cash basket uh, is up now 131% versus the S&P's 37%. So, seen some great results there and just holding all four of these businesses for the long haul. But Matt, the laggard in the basket, can you believe the laggard? Is actually PayPal. Of all four, PayPal's the one that, you know, I guess I could say they're not pulling their weight, but the stock is also up almost 100%. So it hadn't quite doubled, but it's just on the cusp. So it's not like they're sleeping at the wheel. I mean, it's just, it's hard to, hard to, hard to believe that they're the one, they're the ones lagging out of the four, but there you go. I'm, I mean, I I wish my worst performing stock was up almost a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a nice problem to have for sure. Well, I hope that everybody out there has had a chance to get in on that war uh, war on cash basket, and certainly been one. I've had a lot of fun following, and we'll continue to keep track of it for our listeners. Uh, Matt, let's move on over to Berkshire Hathaway. We uh, saw some interesting news out of Berkshire Hathaway last week. They're selling off their newspaper business, a side of the company that Warren Buffett, for a very long time, seemed to have a lot of optimism about. He felt really strongly about the role that newspapers play in our country, particularly, but the way that they communicate information at the local level, especially, it seems like... He's he's had a little bit of a change of heart here, selling the newspaper business to Lee Publishing, who's been running the show for those newspapers, I think, since 2018. And, and I mean, I, I this it's an inconsequential amount of money for the company. I mean, this doesn't really matter. But whether they made money or lost money is is irrelevant. But I, I really wanted to ask you in regard to this, just what what is this signal? I mean, right? Because I, the first I saw this, I thought, man, I wonder if this is not another sign of maybe that that impending changing of the guard that, that we know is coming sooner rather than later. This stood out to me for a few reasons. One, it's because Berkshire rarely sells any of its operating businesses, no matter how big or small. Two, this was actually a profitable business. Um, the newspaper business just it generated about fifteen million dollars of net income, so they sold it for hundred forty million. That means it was earning you know about over ten percent of its value for Berkshire every year. Yeah. Um, they're also um, as part of the deal, they're lending Lee uh, five hundred seventy six million at nine percent interest. So Berkshire's not just making one 
140 million they're getting you know a nice little steady stream of capital that's such a buffett thing to do too i mean in the, i mean that in the best possible way <laughs> i that's such a buffett deal um he, he's is really good at making advantageous debt deals yeah. i guess you would say yep um so that really stood out to me but it just seems like if he's willing to sell a profitable business like that and loan money somebody for the just to take it off his hands then he's really is might think he was wrong about the newspaper business. I mean, obviously at the Motley Fool we love the news business, but print newspaper, um, even with an online presence, might not be as salvageable as it, as he originally thought. Um, so it just seems like he wants this is like a moving on type of deal, not like they need the money. As you mentioned, one hundred forty million dollars is a is a drop in the bucket for Berkshire, but it it seems like they're moving on from it. Yeah, I can't help but wonder if Todd or Ted or Charlie or some combination of the three weren't weren't behind this at least somewhat. I mean, I, maybe he could have very well just woken up one morning and said, "You know what? We just need to change tack here." But but I do I do wonder if maybe uh, he wasn't listening to some younger ears and sort of seeing where the puck is headed. And I mean, social media, the internet, everything has changed how we get our information, and newspapers just don't hold the same they don't hold the same status as they once did. I guess. Yeah, it's 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 sad because I I one of my proudest moments working for the Motley Fool was the first time I saw my name in print in USA Today. <laughs> so I I I love the I like newspapers. I mean, I grew up on newspapers, but at some point you got to realize the world's changing, and it looks like Buffett's doing that. That's right. That's right. Well, before we continue, I want to remind listeners that if you're looking for more stock ideas and recommendations, make sure to check out our stock advisor service here at The Motley Fool. You'll get stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner every month. You get Best Buys Now and a whole lot more. So, just go to if.fool.com, and we've got a special 50% discount for our listeners. Check it out again at if.fool.com. All right, Matt, we got another installment of The Last Stock You Bought and Why. I got a few of these to read off here real quickly. Today, we have one from at Brett Dividends. He says, you want to guess what is Yext on my buy list? And I see what he did there. He just bought Yext. So, there you go, Brett. Good call. From at L-A-L-A-I-X-I-X. Just say that is uh, Gabriel. Gabriel says the last stock I bought was Mercado Libre. I wanted to add to my war on cash basket, but couldn't decide whether to start a position in PagSeguro or Stoneco, so I went with the one already owned. Very hard to knock you for buying Mercado Libre, Gabriel. Good job. And finally, from Anthony at King of Fifth Street. He said, the last stock I bought was Crocs. Love them or hate them, I bought five pairs for Christmas this year. It's a huge deal and growing with the teens and preteens this past holiday season. Collaboration, selling out in minutes, it's undervalued in my opinion. Anthony, I've never even owned a pair of Crocs. No, wait, I can't. I take that back. My wife bought me a pair of Crocs one year, uh, many years ago. And you know what? I just, I never ended up wearing them. I just didn't find the use for them. I think I like those Under Armour flops, those slides a little bit more. They're a little bit more comfy. Matt, you ever own any Crocs? Yeah, I totally disagree with you. When I lived in the Florida <laughs> Keys, I wore my Crocs all the time. They make they're they're great to wear in the water. Their beaches are real rocky down there. I I found a lot of use in mine. Yeah, maybe I gotta give them. Maybe I gotta give them another shot. Maybe I'll do that, Anthony. Good call. All right, well, Matt, let's wrap it up this week with our ones to watch. Uh, what stock are you going to be keeping your eye on this week? 
Well, as you know, I, ch- I kind of changed mine at last minute because I got some cool news. Um, Goldman Sachs, I've talked about the stock, I've talked about the bank a lot, um, and their consumer banking potential. And I just got word that they are about to start offering small business loans on Amazon. Wow. Um, to to Amazon merchants. Right now, Amazon has its own like in-house business loan platform, but Goldman's going to use their existing inf- Amazon's existing infrastructure to start offering small business loans and this is kind of just another another step toward becoming a the next big consumer bank i mean they they've gotten into the personal lending business through the marcus platform the savings business they offer the apple credit card they're the bank behind that um they're talking they're expected to release some sort of main street investment platform um and now if they're doing small business lending that's just another form of consumer bank and they're getting their hands in and i think the market is really underestimating the potential of how big Goldman's consumer banking business can get. Yeah, that's interesting news right there. I wonder that that seems like a um, that seems like they're going after Live Oak Bank's market right there. I mean, that's specifically that's specifically the market that Live Oak targets. Do you feel like that's something they ought to be worried about there? Well. Possibly. They're going after a lot of companies with this. But yeah, uh, Live Oak is definitely going to be a direct competitor. Um, I mean, I think credit card, most credit card companies and traditional banks should be worried. I think Goldman does not have a big branch infrastructure they have to pay for. So they have a, a nice inherent cost advantage over the existing banks. So um, they're, they're, and they're, they're the great brand name. I mean, I can't think of a name that's more synonymous with finance in America than Goldman Sachs. Yeah, um, I just think they they could be someday one of the big U.S. banks in consu- in the consumer business. Well, certainly something worth keeping an eye on. Um, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Chipotle. I know it's not your traditional finance company, Matt, but I'll get to it. Hang on one second here. All right, Chipotle earnings come out on Tuesday. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how much traffic of theirs is going through mobile these days. Their digital business last year. Uh, represented 11% of total sales. And in in the quarter a year ago, it represented $160 million and 66% growth. And so, we only just saw the beginning of their mobile strategy really a year ago. And, and it seems like it's it's been a big point of focus. And as someone who eats at Chipotle now and again, um, I really it feels like they've they've improved that digital presence in a number of ways, um, and and hey, I mean they even got a mention on PayPal's call this quarter when management said last year we saw brands like Netflix, Pepsi, and Chipotle use Venmo payouts to reward their customers and pay them via Venmo. So you know it's neat to see that you've got these businesses that are that are figuring out ways to to integrate these payment solutions into their business models and generate some traffic out of it. Um, so I'm going to be very interested to see where we stand on that digital traffic here in those mobile. Payments this coming quarter, and that'll uh, that'll drop tomorrow, Tuesday, after the market closes. Do you own Chipotle stock, Matt? I don't. Um, I considered buying it when it was about half as expensive as it is now, and I kind of regret not doing it. But I am a customer. I, I love their product. I was going to say, what's your go-to when you go there? I get a bowl. I get a barbacoa bowl. Barbacoa, that's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I like the bowl because I think you know what you can you can keep that that wrap out of the way. You, you cut the sodium intake at least a little bit, and then you just get yourself some chips. You don't even need to get a fork for the bowl. You just use the chips as, as your silverware, and you can just eat the silverware. And then you you know, it's just uh, you're not even wasting the plastic on a fork. 
Exactly. All right. Well, hey, Matt, listen, enjoy your time down there in sunny Beaufort. Safe travels back up to Columbia when you head back up there, okay? It's great, great talking to you this week. Thanks for joining us. Always, always fun to be here. Okay, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd behind the glass for making us sound good this week. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. 